I'll let you decide. As for the orphans and the residue of yesterday's lesson, we settled on something shallower than an abyss, and with a red magic marker, I wrote our lesson on a small section of plywood. It hangs on the wall of my hut, and it says, There are potholes on the road less traveled. Some deep, some not so deep. Some you dig yourself. Most are filled with mud. Many contain rocks. Once in a while, however, you'll be walking along and step in one a bit more accommodating. Shabby, green, and pulsing with life. It'll tickle your feet like clover. Act 1. 90% of life is just showing up. Woody Allen Chapter 1. At a quarter past midnight, I set my paint roller in the pan, the pan in the tub, my bathroom, the latest victim in a week of odd-hour renovations. Hands scrubbed, teeth brushed, I walked down the hall, cut off the lights, and fell prostrate across a mattress in my spare bedroom. A whiff of khaki latex seeped into the darkness, drifted past my pillow, and reminded me to be up at 8 a.m. In the fuzzy state between sleep and awake, I reached to set the alarm on my digital clock. But I held the button too long and had to wait for the eight to come around as I dozed and saw the numbers, saw the numbers, then dozed, and around again went the numbers. The rumbling of a car engine woke me. It was Sunday morning. I sniffed the air, and above the fresh paint, I detected the scent of females four miles away at North Hills Presbyterian Church. The wind strained to cool my blazer when I ran the yellow lights, and I ran three. Greenville was an unfamiliar city, and it bloomed green across my new geography, the upstate of South Carolina. Sprawled between two office buildings on the uppity side of downtown, North Hills appeared manicured and popular. A tiny steeple rose from the red brick sanctuary. The lot was filling fast. I parked in the back row, pausing there to watch well-dressed couples with immaculate children hurry toward the building. I checked my hair in the mirror and wondered who might be inside. Understand that I did not resort to such tactics without good cause, and the cause was not that unusual. Modern communication was the cause. Kimberly Hargrove had communicated to me by email that she was now interested in a surgical resident at West Dallas Hospital and would no longer be requiring my attention. This humbling piece of news arrived just six days after I had moved halfway across the country. Her contribution to this story ends here. Just know that what had looked promising had totally unraveled with two Thursday afternoon emails. Relational rope burn. Maybe you can relate. Now, I'm aware that being dumped was poor motivation for what I was about to do. But what I was about to do would not have happened had it not been for a second piece of communication from an older woman. No, not a romantic interest. The real estate lady. Having just been transferred, I knew not a soul in Greenville, South Carolina, until she had agreed to meet me at a mistreated three-bedroom in the middle of a suburban cul-de-sac. I had signed the contract on the hood of her sob as she stood beside me in her gold jacket and black heels, looking over my shoulder and drooling for commission. Seconds later, she had tromped through the yard, proudly slapped a sold sticker across her for sale sign, and nearly turned her ankle in the process. So where do the uh, single people hang out in this town? I inquired, noting that the sellers had even uprooted the mailbox. Well, Jay, she said, leaning over to brush grass clippings from her black heels, there's the occasional outdoor concert, and in the fall there will be plenty of football, but your best bet is... In the same places where I find clients, I usually rotate between Baptist and Methodist. Churches? I asked, not sure of her meaning. She pulled off her left shoe and shook out the grassy contents. You know, the networking thing. Although sometimes it looks good to tote along a Bible just to fit in. You use churches to network for clients? Almost exclusively. Is that legal? 
I had a finance degree, and this sounded like the spiritual equivalent of insider trading. Well, who knows, but half the city does it. She paused to empty her other shoe. You don't have a girlfriend? You look like the type who would have a girlfriend. I used to. She sort of dumped me. Well, is it sorter or is it permanent? She was quite aggressive, this real estate lady. I walked over to peer into the mailbox hole. Feels permanent. And she did this recently? By email. Sounds like an airhead to me. After this brief exchange, she leaned against her sob to check over the contract. She thanked me, tore off my copy, and got into her car. I was inspecting a bent drain spout as she backed out of the driveway. She honked twice, then stopped, and stuck her head out the window. You know, Jay, if you really want to meet people, try the Pentecostals. They're very outgoing. How so? Quite loud, and they stand up a lot. Well, I'd prefer to sit. Then pick another one. Our churches outnumber the bars by a 20-to-1 margin. You'll figure it out. So there I sat in my Chevy Blazer on a Sunday morning in May in the last row of the parking lot of North Hills Presbyterian Church, trying to figure it out, trying to remember the last time I'd set foot inside a church. Four, five years perhaps? In retrospect, I suppose it was not the best laid plan, and one much more common to men than mice. I checked my hair again, then my slacks, my jacket, and the buttons on my light blue Oxford. Just blend in, scope the field, and try not to volunteer for anything. I stepped out of my truck. Did I mention I was not wearing a tie? Bells rang out in two-second intervals as I crossed the parking lot and reached the front steps. Beyond the top step loomed a wooden double door, nine feet high and richly detailed. I pulled it open, and there was a middle-aged man in a mid-priced suit standing in the middle of the foyer. He gave the customary nod and handed me a bulletin. Down the burgundy carpet sat pews of dark wood, detailed along the sides in the same pattern as the door. I searched for an empty slot. No one looked up. Just five hundred heads staring into bulletins, fascinated as if Shakespeare himself had penned the announcements. I took a seat in row twenty-something, next to an old man whose Bible lay open beside him, the pages psychedelic from his marks. Two children scribbled in the next pew, their hands stained by magic markers. Their mother shushed them as a hymn began. The choir sounded rich and reverent, and several sopranos made an impression, although the long green robes prevented me from checking for wedding bands. Hymn over, the congregation stood to recite a creed, their voices a low monotone, my lips moving in mock conformity. We sat again. The old guy pulled out his checkbook. Six men in suits worked the aisles, passing and receiving brass plates in the quiet manner of servants. A plate reached me containing a pile of envelopes and a twenty. It left with the contents unaffected. The two kids turned and smiled. I made a face and they whirred back around, giggling as their mother gave a firmer shush. The pastor spoke of being in the world but not of the world, of having eternal thoughts in the midst of the temporary. His sermon was lengthy, definitely not monotone, but left me the same way I had left the brass plate. Blessed and dismissed, I shook strange hands, then looked around for a deacon to point me toward the singles class. Kids pulled parents through the pews, parents grabbed markers from the floor, and the elderly, the teeming mass of elderly, paused and dawdled on the burgundy carpet. Leaving the twenty-fourth pew, I had counted the rows during the sermon, I heard the organist playing a lullaby and wondered if I should have tried the Pentecostals. I caught the bulletin man midway up the aisle. The college class meets in the Sunday school wing, he directed, just past the junior highs. What if I'm a bit older, I asked. College was five years ago. Ah, the singles, he said. They meet in the little brick building across the parking lot. The crowd forced me forward. Thanks, I'll find it. My first glance into the building revealed three rows of chairs arranged in semicircles. 
A thick wooden podium faced the center. A gray-suited man rested one arm on the podium, his back to the chairs, his attention in a book. I strolled past the empty rows. Muted conversations made their way from around a corner. Morning sunlight angled in through sheer white curtains, and I turned to see a kitchen full of singles. They were having coffee, orange juice, and those white powdered donuts. The first person to make eye contact with me was a heavyset girl with short red hair, her round face beaming hospitality. She wiped a crumb from her flower print dress, smiled briefly, and extended a hand. No ring? Then you're in the right place. Disarmed by the humor, I returned the greeting. Jay Jarvis, uh, no hidden rings. I'm Lydia, she said, letting go of my hand. Your first time? Just moved to South Carolina last month. She gave me a styrofoam coffee cup and left to greet more visitors. I was filling up the cup with decaf when someone tapped my shoulder, and I turned to meet one Stanley Roan, complete with a navy blue suit, sculpted black hair, and a handshake three degrees too firm. Uh, from where did you move? he asked. He looked at me cautiously, warily, in the same way toddlers view asparagus. A white hanky sprouted from his coat pocket. Dallas, I replied. My firm transferred me just this... The gray-suited podium leaner had called us to attention. Fifty singles began taking their seats in the familiar social pattern of women in front and middle, with males occupying the perimeter. I took a seat at the end of the second row behind Stanley and tried to look alert. A latecomer hurried in and took her seat. Mr. Roan will open us, said Gray Suit. In the act of bowing my head, I deduced that I was a half-second behind. I glanced left to check my timing, and, across the heads in the silence, our eyes met. She was likewise in mid-drop, glancing to her right from the far end of the second semicircle. The glare through the curtain backlit the brunette hair resting at her shoulders. That's